amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Journey into the matrix of the mind. Stretch your imagination and challenge reality. Abnormal realities are beacons for the imagination. What society deems abnormal may be more real than we think. This is Abnormal Realities with your hosts, Ron Phillips and Rocky Stucci. Yep, and I'm going to have to give the HR department a return phone call because I have a contract with um, El Filippio HRO um, in regards to anytime we have a guest, I need to behave. That is not true. Stay above reproach. Look, we're talking about Rocky Stucci here. There's no way that's even going to happen. What? There's no way you behave and stay above reproach. That just doesn't happen. Can you not behave and stay above reproach? Can you? I think I can. I think I do pretty good at it. Let's see how it works. (laughs) Let's see how that goes. All right, guys. Welcome welcome to the show. This is Abnormal Realities. We have a fantastic guest again tonight. So we've we let's just let's do a shout out to Michelle real quick. Because Michelle has been kicking it with the freaking guest for us. Uh, she's been sending us fantastic guests. So Michelle Free, thank you very much for your help and for providing all of these great people to come visit our show, the lonely little abnormal reality show. And in meatball terms, <laughs> complete badassery stuff going on, girl. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, guys. So tonight our guest is Rose Thornton. When Rose's husband committed suicide at their home, she fell into a pit so deep and dark that medical professionals expressed doubts that she had ever fully recover. Two years later, Rose was diagnosed with stage two cancer. Mm. And during a related minor medical procedure, she bled to death and had no heartbeat for more than 10 minutes in heaven. Her predominant emotion was profound gratitude that this life experience had ended, but the angelic beings she encountered encouraged Rose to return to earth. She was told that if she agreed to go back, she'd be restored to perfect health, physically, physically, emotionally, and mentally. The angels were right. Rose experienced a dramatic and thorough healing. Her story has been heard by 10 plus million people. And the number one most frequently heard comment is, this is the best NDE I've ever heard. So an NDE, for those of you who don't know, because we do talk about them quite often, Mm -hmm. is a near-death experience. So please welcome Rose Thornton. How are you, Rose? Welcome to the show. I'm fine. Thank you so much. You know, Rose, it's funny because we bring into the show everything's casual if people only knew what we went through the last 12 minutes before you came on the show you know <laughs> it was pretty wild it was, that's a point but uh no thank you for taking your time out and uh coming and hanging out with us and have this conversation uh, it's intriguing to us um you know we, we always are on this journey of trying to understand 
right? And and you know, people fear what they don't understand, and and I don't want to fear things. I, I want to understand things and the experiences and the science of it, the 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 experience of it. And and we have all these people are coming on the show, and we're going down all these different avenues, but all in this way are all within that umbrella, mm-hmm. you know? So there's similarities and, and that's the part that I enjoy listening to, especially with people such as yourself and other people that are well-versed in their research, you know? Um, so we are, us, our listening audience are grateful uh, for you and your story and your courage and everything that you do. Yeah, without a doubt. So Thank Ro- you. So Rose, tell us your story. Tell us, let's get into it a little bit because I have questions and I know Rocky does. Tell us your story and, and what you've been through. Uh, well, that synopsis was pretty good. I, I think I wrote that. <laughs> I don't know. That was That's what was provided. <laughs> she said you just said it, Brian. You, are, you just said That's my right. story. I want to hear it from her, dude. You know, I edited that book. Uh, I, I've written nine books on architectural history. Number 10 was about mm. dying, going to heaven, and coming back, which was a little bit different genre for me. Uh, but I edited and edited and edited that book until I about got down to the place that, you know, a bad thing happened. I got sick. I went to heaven, and everything's okay now. And that's pretty much the the short version of my story. And, you know, before we went on air, y'all were talking about this will be a fun show. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to hear that. Somebody, uh, had my book yesterday and they said i'm looking forward to reading it but i think it's probably a sad story and i'm like you know if that's your takeaway i have failed it it certainly has sad parts sometimes life is very very hard and sometimes trauma happens and sometimes like in my own story my husband killed himself and that was devastating to me i he was the love of my life a phenomenal man somebody i cared about deeply but then I, i lost my mind 29 months i really was lost in hell I went through terrible times, even lived out of my car for a brief time. I mean, I was a mess. And I'd had some success as a writer. He'd had some success in his profession. So I fell pretty hard pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And then 29 months, I was diagnosed with cancer. They determined it was stage two, Mm -hmm. taken to a hospital. uh, It was actually a surgical biopsy done at a regional hospital. They made a few boo-boos. And um, ultimately, I was sent home, ended up going back to an ER, and the short version is, if there is one, I bled to death. And, you know, it it was pretty ominous. And I guess the reason even I find the story compelling, I mean, sometimes I back up and I think about the story myself. When I died, I had been diagnosed not by one, but two doctors as having stage two cervical cancer Mm. to a point where, um, you know, it it was obvious upon physical examination things had changed. When I came back from heaven, it was all gone. That's a pretty dramatic healing. In fact, I had to find another oncologist after I came back from having died and coming back because the first oncologist decided I was mentally ill. It turns out when you say, hey, we won't be needing that chemo and radiation, I was healed in heaven. Did they put a little notation on your chart that says (laughs) mentally ill? Really? So I, yes, that is a true fact. So, and also I was dead more than 20 minutes. What ha- I'm sorry, 10 minutes. What happened was when he was doing this biopsy, uh, he nicked something yeah. and I took me about five hours, but I bled to death. And the, the kind of interesting thing about bleeding to death is you, they can't even do CPR when you have flatlined because all it does is push out more blood. Right. So for more than 10 minutes, there was no oxygen to my brain. And medical belief is after five to six minutes, there is irreversible brain damage. And yet, I, I like to. I used to be a newspaper reporter back in the day, written a bunch of books. I always thought of myself as something of a smart cookie, 
And I swear, after having come back from this experience, uh, I, I feel like I got supercharged. I feel like my intellect is clearer than ever. And the grief and the horror of what I had been through in those preceding 29 months was gone. I was a changed person in every way. I was a changed person so dramatically. Uh, you know, first thing I did after I got out of the hospital was I sold off all my personal belongings. I sold my car. I sold my house. And I moved a 1,000 miles due west. Basically, as my friend said, she said, you haven't been selling off your stuff. You've gone all kung fu on us. Mm. And I did. I just didn't want anything anymore. So it was a very dramatic experience. And while the physical healing is great, and certainly I, I don't want to discount that, the fact is I had an emotional, mental, spiritual reset. And that was the real healing. That was what was very dramatic. Rose, can I ask you something um, before we get too far ahead in regards to you dealt with trauma and it took you many months to heal from this trauma. So I'm curious. And the trip to heaven. And the trip to heaven. <laughs> so I'm curious just from my own personal experiences, would you change if you could that trauma or was that trauma actually part of the experience of your growth and journey to where you're at right now? That's a really good question. If I could wave a magic wand and have a different life, mm -hmm. I would never have gone through that suicide. I don't know that people, it's hard to explain how horrible it was. And even now, I still struggle. I have an anniversary date. I mean, he did this on April 18th. So I'm approaching an anniversary date and I will hang out with friends. I will make sure I'm thoroughly distracted. I'll make sure I don't think about it. The thing is, it, this took away the Rosemary who was in a mentally compromised state. And now it's, it's really, I guess I would define it as grief. I miss him. This was horrible. I wish he hadn't done it. So, yes, if I, if I could somehow erase this, expunge it, absolutely. You know, I would, nobody the, should have to go through trauma of this level. There's a, there's a powerful testament here. And, and I want, no matter what we talk about for the rest of the show, I want people to recognize this. Because a lot of people are in that place of trauma. And they don't know how to get out. And, that's true. You know, and that's not the focus point of the story. You know, we talk about people being, oh, it must be sad. No, it's a story of inspiration. It's a story of courage. Right. Because me trying to deal with some of my trauma in my life, in my journey, it's still for some things an everyday battle. But you have to be willing to fight that battle to keep yourself in this place, not that place. So I want people to recognize this before we even move further with this show that that this is not a sad story of what happened. This is an outstanding, encouraging story of what's become. What's become. That's correct. That is a beautiful point. And that is the emphasis. Because honestly, even in, I mean, I've been on a bunch of podcasts. And I've written a book. And even, even in my own telling, sometimes I get distracted. And I go down the path of this was horrible and then more horrible and then more horrible and then I died and it's okay. It's way too easy. I read, I love this quote, the human ego loves a sad story. And one of the things I've struggled with even before my, my NDE was don't be a victim. It's so easy to be a victim. And I think in some ways society even promotes that a little bit. I, I don't want to be a victim. Um, sometimes support groups, you can get so mired in the sadness. And, you know, there's a Bible verse that I just love. It's bring into captivity every thought. How hard is that? I've read the average human has thirty to 40,000 thoughts a day. Oh, yeah. And yet we have to decide, are we going to think sad things all the time? And I think rehearsing trauma 
is what we're actually kind of biologically hardwired to do to make sure we don't have that trauma again, make sure we steer clear of that one next time. And I really think a keynote of spiritual growth is to say, okay, I've got to interrupt this cycle. I've got to, you know, somebody said, you got to get off the merry-go-round at some point. And for me, my trip to heaven really was what did it because I had felt so much guilt. So many could have, would have, should have, but the guilt was unbelievable over what he did. This man, I believed, was the love of my life. I loved him with my whole heart. And I looked back at the day before, the week before, the month before, the decade before. And there were times, even even now this happens occasionally, that a memory will come back and I'll say, no wonder he killed himself. You were a terrible wife. And I think, whoa, 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 whoa. We're yeah. not doing that anymore. Yeah. But that's the problem of suicide. It's not just the grief. It's what what did I do and what could I have done? Hmm. And on a side note, I have a problem with suicide prevention because it puts the onus on people like me, survivors. This idea that we can stop people from doing this, it's its hell on people who are suicide survivors as we're known. Yeah, I think there are times, especially with younger people, that we can take steps, that we can reach out, that we can find a way to help them, sometimes. And yet, interestingly, suicide survivors as we're known, people who've lost a spouse or a child to suicide, somebody very close mm -hmm. to you, have uh, the likelihood, it's 12 to 48 times more likely that they will take their own life. So now we have a known risk group which is people who have lost somebody to suicide. And yet, what do we do with them? They're ostracized. They're, they're treated like social yep. lepers. They're yep. cast out. When you have a severe trauma of this magnitude, you scare people. They don't want this coming into their world or their life. So, yeah, I, that was part of what made those 29 months so horrible, is people, people say all the wrong things. You know, they say, well, there must have been signs. Did you even note? What was going on? Mm -hmm. Depression's so bad. You know nothing. I was his wife, and I knew nothing. And if I had known anything, I would have done anything, anything to save him. I mean anything. I would have given up my own life to save yeah. him, and I, I couldn't. So, we one, we have to stop treating suicide survivors like they're lepers. Two, we have to see, okay, there's a known risk group, 12 to 48 times more likely to end their own life. And then we have to figure out how to reach out to them. And I went to um, – a suicide support group in uh, on the East Coast, let's leave it there. And I, I was trying desperately to find healing. And again, this was before my own trip to heaven. And in that support group, there was a woman and she's, you know, she sat there and she said, my son killed himself. And I mean, she was probably my age or a little older. And she said, my son would still be alive if he hadn't married that bitch. And I got up and left because that's the other thing is we tend to blame the spouse. Yeah. We say, wow, and I mean, I did. I got up and left because I, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to listen to this. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough road. And if we're going to talk seriously, if we're going to have serious conversations about suicide prevention, we need to look at the people that are hurt the most and stop treating them like the damned. And another interesting thing, my husband was uh, – uh, he had a, a job that he was in the public eye. We had lots of fancy friends. We had a beautiful home mm -hmm. and a beautiful place. And after this happened – gone yeah all those people gone that's because they and don't the want it in their world like you said right yeah and the thing is what i've noticed is when people try to provide words of comfort they're saying stuff to comfort themselves yep. they're saying well this will never happen to me because mm -hmm. but the interesting thing is the people who came into the fray to save me because as one of my friends said it was very dear she said she was driving in her car when the word came that my husband had ended his life and she said she had to pull over and cry because she said the first words out of her mouth were we're going to lose Rosemary, too. Everyone knew that this would be devastating, and it was. So we have to find a way to help people that are in my spot. The second thing that's very interesting I don't think a lot of people are aware of is when a, a spouse ends his life, 
The surviving spouse is the number one suspect in the police investigation. You become the object of a homicide investigation. And so if you really want to twist the knife a little yeah, more, right, right. you know, do that. And then your wife, who was like, wait, I I've never had a parking ticket. And suddenly they're sat in a chair and asked, what was the nature of your last argument with him? I understand that you had not been getting along. Where were you when this happened? And if I was queen of the world, and hopefully it won't be long now, <laughs> uh, I would create... <laughs> I would create an advocacy group for survivors of suicide. And, you know, back in the 70s, I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember that, but when a woman or somebody was a victim of sexual assault, well, why were you on the street at 2 in the morning? Why were you wearing a miniskirt? Did you really need to be wearing those heels? And that's what we're doing with suicide right now. And we need some sort of advocacy in the United States, which I understand they already have in Canada. But we need some kind of advocacy group say, you know what? You're not going to question this woman. She just found out her husband died by suicide. So we're going to have an advocate talk with her. But we're not going to allow you to take her down to the police station and ask her a bunch of questions. It's just so backwards in a so-called enlightened society that we torture people who happened to lose somebody by suicide. I um I interviewed a lady one time and her 12-year-old daughter hung herself in the closet and she was a very similar situation like you and she was literally blacklisted from the yeah. community and it breaks my heart. Anything we can ever do with anything that ever comes up in regards to what we just talked about, you have an open platform right here. Uh, please keep you, you or your friends or your associates or anybody that we can help spread that kind of message. We'd be honored to be part of that. Now, Rose, we're, we've got about, I don't know, about six minutes before we have to go to that break at the bottom of the hour. But I want to get into the journey, the journey. Yeah, the the journey and, <laughs> and how that started for you. You know, we, we, we know what happened to get you to that point. But tell us about the journey and how that all came to came to be. You know. Ah, uh, that was great fun dying. I had the time of my life. Really? <laughs> it was I can't. super duper. <laughs> I can't. Said, uh, I died and had the I, time of my life. At some point there, <laughs> I, my, I my brain had to switch back and forth between sarcasm <laughs> I was and real it. life. I, I felt it in my soul. No, it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely 100% true. At the moment of my death, I was unconscious. They had given me some Dilaudid. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. right before they sent me to my reward. And it was a medical mistake that killed me. You know, it's one out of three deaths in this country are caused by medical mistakes. And mm. I've always wondered, does mine get counted? Yeah. Or the fact that I come back, does my name go off the list of dying from a medical mistake? No, I was unconscious at the moment of my death. And I woke up being catapulted out of my body. And it was great fun. I am serious. I was going to say serious as a heart attack, but that doesn't seem appropriate either. <laughs> I was, I, I, it was just... <laughs> It was great fun. And, you know, technically that's what killed me was a heart attack. I ran out of blood and my heart was yeah. like, ah, yeah. and then I died. But it was great fun. And, I mean, I was catapulted out of my body. I was floating. Who doesn't dream of floating? And I was floating away from my body and I had a gajillion thoughts. It was super duper. And, you know, all my life I've kept a gratitude list. Every morning I list five things for which I'm grateful. Mm. And as I'm floating away from my body, I keep thinking, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be dead. I'm not really dead because I'm still alive, but I'm so grateful. I mean, I literally was so grateful. And somebody heard my story said, I've never heard anybody so grateful to be dead. I was. And I had suffered and struggled mightily with suicidal ideation in those 29 months between his death and my own. And one of my first thoughts in this experience, I mean, I remembered everything. I remembered, you know, what he did, what had happened to me. My first thought, one of my, one of my first thoughts was, it's over. I didn't do this to myself. In fact, I sought medical care. Correct. Nobody could say she didn't care. And I thought, I'm out. I'm clear. And I genuinely, truly, wow. one of my first thoughts was, Early release for good behavior. That's what I got. I got, I found an exit, you know, I'm out of here. I was so happy 
I, I cannot emphasize enough how much joy I experienced, joy and peace and peace and joy. Best day of your life multiplied by a million. I was genu- genuinely deep down to the bones happy. It, you know, you go all that time, that those many months in that place, and the first sense of freedom, the, the first sense mm-hmm. of no pain, no suffering, no sadness, no guilt, no anxiety, no, no nothing. Just is, is that how you felt? Yes. In fact, that was one of my early thoughts. Uh, in this experience, I thought, I'm dying. And then I thought, actually, no, you're not dying. You're dead. Because as a lifelong editor, the most important thing is correcting your tense when you're going on to your reward. So I thought, I thought that's pretty funny. And I laughed out loud. And I heard myself laugh. And I thought, I don't have breath sounds. Pretty sure I don't have vocal cords. And yet I sound exactly as I have always sounded. I talk the way I've always talked. And wow. I am laughing out loud. And I still have my funny little giggle. And that I realized everything I am has gone with me. And I remember thinking very clearly, what did I leave on that gurney? And I thought the worry, the guilt, the regret, the anxiety, the woe. And then I thought as a writer, yes, as a neurotic, over-the-top, ruminate is my superpower writer, I thought, I always wondered what I would look like without any of that anxiety and fear and worries and woes. And Mm. I thought, this is what I look like. This is great. I Again, the joy and the peace, the peace was profound. And I have read, and this has been very helpful, that often people who come back from an NDE have a period of time where they're depressed because it's hard to be in that experience and, and come, come back, back to the to heaviness of world. earth. Yeah. Right, mm. right. It is very difficult. And even just knowing that has been a blessing. So, yes, it, it, I, I left behind all the negativity, which tells me that that's not part of my true spiritual nature, which has helped me let go of it now. So Rose, when you, when you were on your travel there, when, when you had all the happy feelings and everything like that, were, were you heading in a specific place? Were you being guided to this place? Did you have angels? You know, that's what's so cool. Yeah. Yes, I did. Uh, shortly after this comment, because one of, of actually my very first thought that I recall was my heart is stopped, you know, because I'm floating away from my body in my in this blackness. I was in a perfect velvety blackness floating mm. away. Wow. And uh, and I was right, by the way, it turned out I had medical affirmation of that later. It was my heart that stopped. That's what sent me to move on. But uh, I felt the presence of a massive, massive spiritual being to my left and slightly behind me. Even though I'm in this perfect blackness, I turn my head to the left and look up. And I thought, that's pretty cool. I'm turning my head and looking <laughs> over my left shoulder, you know? <laughs> Something you never think about before then, but... <laughs> yeah. She wow. said, so that's pretty cool, man. Check it out. I, can I do, did. Well, yeah. <laughs> I did. And I asked this massive spiritual being, I said, and who are you? Because I'm like, now it's a party. I'm not alone. You yep. know, I have somebody with me. Yeah. And the answer was, and this was profound. The answer was, you, Rosemary, you are the image and likeness. I'm the original, which is, you know, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We're made the image and likeness yep. of God. And I had studied the Bible verse my whole life and wondered what it meant. And it didn't just come with words. It came with an infusion of knowing. And I thought, mm. Oh, my gosh. And I remember thinking, you know what? That would have been good to know back there now to have that enlightenment and that understanding. But don't care. We're going on. It'll be good to know in the future, I'm sure. And I mean, I had zero intention of going back because another thought I had was I like floating. Floating is fun. This is great. Because as soon as I got home from the hospital, I wrote every word of this down, 42 pages. Didn't want to forget a thing. So I wrote down, I like floating. Floating is fun. This is great. I thought, what kind of writer are you? You know, if I had any attention to going back, I would have written something far more prosaic, more loquacious, Mm. you know, eloquent, Mm -hmm. something. 
I like floating. Floating is fun. I kind of felt so that a little I, bit, I had, though. I kind of felt that no, it's, a it's, little bit. You know it what sounds I mean? great. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Rose Thornton with us tonight. Uh, we're going to take a short two-minute break, and uh, then we'll come back with Rose. So, Rose, hang with us. We'll be right back after this break, okay? All right. So, uh, Wow. I know, dude. And we haven't even really got into the big meat of everything as far as what happened. Wow. I, and, and, and everything was so real. I was feeling what she was saying, honestly. Without a doubt, because there's not a skip. Here's the thing. it's This is a journey. Powerful. You know, the trauma to the spiritual, to the enlightenment, to the I have an opportunity. Yeah. That is badass, 100%. Folks, abnormalrealities.com right here. Uh, Ron Phillips, Rocky Stucci, abnormal. Hey, oh my God! RomikaDesigns.com and SaintCustomTumblers.com because Rod Phillips <laughs> is going to take us home, guys. Rose's book, "Remembering the Light: How Dying Saved My Life," is now available at Amazon. She'll talk about that later. We'll be back in two minutes. At Romica Designs, we're more than just a laser engraving and specialty design company. Much more. I'm Ron Phillips, co-owner of Romica Designs, and if you can dream it, we can probably make it. We can custom laser cut and engrave on nearly all material. Great for one-of-a-kind gifts, home decor, business and specialty items, or personalized and logo designs created just for you or your company. Allow us to become your go-to gift and specialty project partner. Romica Designs can help make your ideas a reality. We're ready to help you design and create that special gift for any occasion or engrave your personal or business logo on just about any product. View our designs at RomicaDesigns.com or simply email us with your ideas. We specialize in custom design and we'd be honored to have the opportunity to discuss it with you. Call us at 817-400-4040, email info at RomicaDesigns.com or visit us on the web at RomicaDesigns.com. Abnormal realities. I watched a documentary the other day. People that were abducted. Abduct That's what it was yeah. about. Abductees. There is a kid. He claimed that he could speak alien. Let me see if I can pick it up. And he was serious, dude. I got chills watching it. And what was that sound you were making just now? I don't know. It was what they did. But I probably said something in Alien just now. Did you call them to come get us? They Maybe they can bring us a pizza. Ask them. Ask them. Bring us pizza? Yeah, I don't care what's... what's okay, hold on. I got to feel it. Make I sure it has jalapeno it. on it. Really? Yeah. Just please. half jalapeno. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to ask Aliens to bring me pizza. Do they deliver it in 30 minutes or less? It's on the way. All or right. it's free. Abnormal reality. <laughs> With Ron and Rocky. 8 p.m. Eastern, Mojo 5-0. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, 
Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Yeah, he did. He picked it up um, that time. You knew it was coming that time. You. <laughs> Chills. Welcome back to Abnormal Realities, folks. I'm Ron Phillips. That's Rocky Stucci. And Petey's still with us. How you doing? Petey just hangs out during the show. We don't even, Rocky doesn't even molest him anymore. No, we have guests, Brian, remember? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> contract, HR? I didn't freaking forget. Oh, your contract with yeah. HR. Yeah. Don't think you can't, I had a talk with Petey you before can't the show. Tweak the alien anymore. I get you. I have that not is so sad. messed okay. with Petey forever. <laughs> you haven't. Now that's I a, feel that's bad. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, Petey. we've got Rose Thornton with us tonight who has written oh. a, a book called Remembering the Light. She's written several books, and she'll talk about those before we get out of the show tonight. Uh, but we're going to bring her back in. Rose, welcome back. Uh, sorry for the Boom. break there, but welcome back. Uh, we Man, we, we just want to – I was talking to Rocky during the break. I want to find out about – what this experience was like for you well well here. i feel like it's probably a little different for everybody well i can kind of envision something and rose please tell me if i'm correct okay so here I, it comes you were talking about <laughs> this being behind you right um and then i'm sure there's going to be some angel experience now i know i'm just going to say it's going to sound kind of weird but you know i've been kind of compared you know what i mean and so i was wondering if it, there's similarities you know with he's asking did the being look like him what? No. <laughs> no. no. Sorry about you. Shit, here's her answer. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, Rose, what did it was this? Would you have considered this an angel? No, this seemed to be something a lot bigger than an angel. And so, a lot of people have said, was it male maybe, or female? Honestly, it seemed like both. Yeah. Yeah. So would you have, would it, was it God in, in my impression was yes. Yeah. Did Frankly. They, yeah. And yeah. did he have an appearance? He, he, she, yeah. at this point I was still floating away in this blackness. And so I could see nothing. Oh, okay. And yet to call it blackness is very unfair. Mm. It was actively comforting me. And I mean, I'm, I'm a report. I used to be a reporter. I, I wrote for magazines. I've, I've done, I've written for 35 years and I noticed I wasn't cold or hot. I wasn't, I didn't feel damp or dry. I mean, it was the perfect atmosphere, absolutely perfect. And it was though it, within this blackness, I was actively being comforted. Mm. You know, even just talking to y'all and thinking this through, it's like whomever knows that this process of being catapulted out of your body of, you know, I've lived with this body for 59 years at this point, at that point, that it, it, it's known it will be jarring. And so you're ensconced in this velvety, comforting, comfortable blackness. And I guess that's part of the plan. And I do believe our NDEs are tailor-made. I really do. Throughout my life, I had read every NDE story I could get my hands on. Remember Raymond Moody, Life After Life? I think that little trade paperback came out in 76 or 78. I read that so many times I wore it out. And then Daniel Brinkley, Betty Eady, George Ritchie. I read all those books again and again and again. So I had an idea of what an NDE should be. And mine was fairly different from that. And, you know, another interesting aside, I had prayed uh, pretty much every night, three prayers, God, heal me or let me die. 
I knew I could not live in this hellish limbo of being so miserable all the time and to having no friends. I had had a network of friends gone. Secondly, my prayer was spare me the life review. I had had recurring nightmares. My husband did this with a nine millimeter Glock. I had had recurring nightmares about getting to him just as he pulled the trigger or finding him right after he pulled the trigger. And so I said, God, I, don't, let, don't ask me to see that again. No life review. And then my third prayer was I was tired of hard decisions. After his death, there had been many difficult legal decisions that okay. had to be made, all with consequences. And I feel like within this NDE, all three of those prayers were specifically addressed. There was no life review. There was none, which I thought was, in retrospect, is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And secondly, the, um, the heal me or let me die, I got both. <laughs> so that prayer was answered very specifically. And the one about no, uh, the decisions, that came before I ended up back on earth against my will, P.S. But yeah, even that prayer was very specifically addressed. So I do think the NDEs are very tailor-made to accommodate us. And something else I realized, you know, we, we tend to overcomplicate prayer. You know, again, one of my favorite Bible verses is, uh, be not distracted from the simplicity that is Jesus Christ. I think we way overcomplicate mm -hmm. stuff. And so I think just praying like a child, please don't ask me to go through a life review. Mm -hmm. I think those are powerful prayers and affirmations that we send up. Just the simple requests, the simple asks. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. we have a tendency to do that all the time. We always complicate the most simplest things, and then we don't realize how simple it was until it becomes True. True. chaotic. So, know? Rose, what happened next? Were, were you were you heading down a path? Uh, were you going someplace? Did you end up someplace? Well, this floating was so interesting to me because I was like, I don't know where we're going, but this is great. And I mean, I'm a classic type A. I don't think you can be a, a writer and write all these books. I mean, I spent six years researching one book. How nuts is that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> got a little splash of autism and, you know, the whole package. But yeah. Uh, and I was like, OK, I don't know where we're going. This is great. And that's so unlike me. And when I'm in the car, I'm saying, if you go a little faster, you can make that green light. You need to be in the left lane. The traffic's really slow in the right lane. Don't you need to be in the left turn lane now? And I'm just floating, floating away to another life. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So, yeah, it was, it was quite something. And the, the floating went on. You know, this is the other thing. If, if you told me I had been dead for a day, I would have been, okay, I can, I can buy that. Yeah. You know, Einstein, I love this quote. Einstein said to those of us who are committed physicists, the past, present, and future are only illusion, however persistent. And that's the thing. In heaven, you see that it's not this linear construct of mm -hmm. we have the past, we have the present, and soon we'll have the future. There's just all, it all, there really is, it's all happening. It's I don't all, know, it's all happening it's at all once. It's all there, yeah. That, it was. And, that was I mean, a story you, that we had gotten from someone else that we had had on the show is that there was no sense of time. Everything was all was all always there. There was. And at the moment of my death, I I instantly had this feeling. I mean, I, I'm also a ham radio operator, uh, licensed extra. Um, I had this feeling that my whole life on Earth, I had been living at 60 amps and now I was on 100,000 amps. It really felt like everything lit up and I understood things and I felt so much more in tune with everything. It was so powerful. And I, I don't know, I just felt, and you know, the other very interesting thing, I mean, this had been 29 months of, of losing everything and of losing my friends and being ostracized and the whole big ugly package. It was like waking up from a bad dream. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. whoa, that 59 years went by in the blink of an eye and it seemed so unimportant. And this was reality yep. floating away in this blackness. This was reality, and I, I hesitate to say that too much because when people are mired in trauma, it feels and feels very real, and it hurts very bad. But it really was akin to waking up from a bad dream. In fact, I have likened it to a child having a terrible nightmare, 
and crying out, help me, help me, help me. And a loving parent comes in and shakes him awake. Mm -hmm. It really felt like my heavenly parent shook me awake and said, hey, 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 I'm here. Mm. It was a bad dream, but it's over. It's over. And one of the things that came away from this, you know, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I was told by the angels that this whole thing that happened with my husband and the ensuing 29 months had been encapsulated, which is a fascinating term to use with somebody who's an architectural historian, which was my trade, because often with contaminants, it's easier to encapsulate them mm -hmm. than attempt to remove them, sometimes in removing uh, potential toxic uh, substances in a home you cause more of a stir and you actually end up spreading it more than if you just encapsulated it. So that was the language the angels used, was that all this horror and all this upset and all this trouble had been encapsulated. And yet it was a thing, and yes, it had happened, mm -hmm. but it couldn't hurt me anymore. It couldn't bruise me, injure me, damage me another day. And that was profound. Mm -hmm. That was life-changing. And did you, did you communicate it like a... Uh, like a subconscious, I mean, you know, t t like telepathy. Uh, how did you communicate with the angel? That's what's so cool. You know, I've had. It's funny. I have people who hear the story and they say, "Well, you were using, you were, you were speaking telepathically." No, 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 no. When I, when I was, I mean, I lived alone for a time, and I have this, and I had a dog, and I talked to myself, and I talked to the dog about really important things, like, "Oh, look, the sun's coming up." You know, I mean, I talk incessantly. <laughs> and uh, I was talking out loud when I said. <laughs> <laughs> oh I God, was talking out loud. <laughs> I I was talking out loud when I said that thing about oh I'm dying and no you're not dying you're dead. I was talking. This was not telepathic. And when I when I spoke with the angels, I very much believe I was speaking out loud. And yet their communication to me, I guess it was telepathic. If you asked me, I'd say I'd perceived it to be spoken language. Mm -hmm. But it all came with this infusion of knowing. Uh, one of the things I asked the angels, I asked the angels a lot of questions, but still floating away in this blackness, I said to somebody, and now I believe I was with an angel, a spiritual being, I said, I've been here before, like within this 59 years. And what I was told was, you know, that story your mom told you about being an infant that was given up for dead, you weren't almost dead. You actually crossed over as an infant and were sent back. Mm. And that oh. made so much sense because... Yeah, because my whole life I had been fascinated by NDE stories. My whole life I could hear angel whispers, you know, and I could see things that other people couldn't see. And, you know, I'd say to my friend, did you see that person just walk by? And they'd say, you crazy. So that helped me. And again, I was, I'm talking with the angels about this. And I say, you know what? 59 years I've been a weirdo in a nutcase and a fruitcake. That would have been good to know back there. But okay, whatever. Now I know. Good to know. So I, I learned a lot and a lot was revealed. But this floating went on for some time, don't know how long. And again, a, I, I, so many memories were so clear. I mean, it was like I remembered everything I needed to remember. It, it was really a relief. You know, we tend to think of the brain as the place that stores memory. Right. No, my brain was back there so deprived of oxygen, yep. my heart had stopped. So I remembered Bible verses. I thought about the peace that passeth all understanding. You know, Paul said that. And I thought, that's this. This is the peace that you can never explain to anybody because it passes all understanding. But there were so many memories that were so accessible. And uh, this just went on and on, and, and it was very comforting. And I was just so grateful. I mean, I kept thinking I'm so grateful. I was also very grateful that I hadn't done this to myself. Again, that was a very predominant thought. And the other thing I thought is, no more chemo for me. I mean, I hadn't even started on the chemotherapy, but I thought, I don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about and it. And then at some point, yeah. Right. 
I, and I, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting that those memories that were so recent and also even distant memories were all so clear to me. And I was with an angel, you know, at the point that I catapulted out of my body and it, that part was very dramatic. I, I didn't have an awareness of being with somebody. My first impression of being with somebody was that massive being to my left and behind me. But after that, I had someone with me. And, and you know, the other thing that I love so much, the place I was, I, I was loved by them. Mm. They knew me. They'd known me in eternity. And I was, it was so familiar. And th there's an old song. Uh, I love this song. Going home, going home, I'm just going home. That's what it felt like. I was just going home. This wasn't some big moving from one dimension to another. It was literally easier than slipping from one bedroom into another bedroom. Yeah. It was just so effortless and so amazing. It, it was just incredible. I, and, you know, a lot of people say, do you remember more as time goes on? Because this happened three and a half years ago now. I don't. I don't remember more. The experience is what it was, as I recalled, even after it happened. But what it does happen is every day I understand a little bit more of what happened. Every day something, some new thing makes sense. Like, oh, wow, I never thought of that before. Mm. Like uh, one of the things, uh, just having these angels with me, how lovely that when you die, you're not alone. You're not frightened. You're not alone. You have somebody there saying, yeah, we're glad you're back. Just out of curiosity, do you ever now in your immediate moment ever feel those angelic figures around you do you ever feel that energy around oh, you in your physical question. existence yeah. i do sometimes but it is not as intense and many times i have meditated i've been in the sunlight i've been in the moonlight yeah. i've been on my knees begging 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 where are you guys yeah. i need to talk to you yeah. because even after i came back from this experience i mean i was resuscitated obviously resuscitated but i i was um when i was in the hospital i was in the hospital for several days after this happened uh, you know, I would have my people with me. I had a couple friends stay with me. You know, when you're kind of in a semi-compromised uh, state in a hospital, you really need to have somebody yeah. with you, make sure they don't really offer a kidney transplant or something, you know? <laughs> right. So I had my people with me, and every now and then they'd have to go get lunch or step out of the room or something. And when they did, the angels appeared at my bedside and sang me songs. Okay. And it was, it was almost too much. That's remarkable. I love that. It was profound. I will remember that till I, I can't say till my dying day. I will remember that in eternity. Yeah. And they would sing me these beautiful, beautiful songs and I would sob and I would say, don't stop. It's so beautiful. And I would ask, I would say to them, I said, I'm really good with houses. I have a phenomenal visual memory for architecture. I, I would say, I'm really good with houses, but melody and lyrics, not so much. I'm not going to be able to remember this. And they said, and this was very distinctive and very clear, they said, this is not for you to remember the melody and the lyrics. This is for your, this is for your joy. This is for your peace. This is for your healing. And they said, um, this is also a thank you for agreeing to come back because we know how hard it is to see that and come back to this. And that, I boy, I just wish I could experience that every day. You know, people say when they come back, they feel like they're 50% in this world and 50% yeah. in that yeah. world. I felt like I was 95% in that world. And in fact, at one point, because uh, I was on total bed rest in the hospital for three days, I guess two or three days, I realized my ab abdominal area felt very off, very strange. I mean, I knew things were wrong. And I asked the angels, am I going to die again? You know, did we get, did all, do all this bringing her back just so I mm -hmm. could die again? And the angels were very clear. They said, no, but some adjustments are being made. Oh, uh -huh, that was great. So they were taking care of things, basically. Uh, I guess. Because, yeah, I mean, I'll be I like this. I'll death. be like, you're making adjustments. Hold on. I got a list. Oh, give me yeah. one second here. 
a little Get nip, busy. a little nip here, a little tuck there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so but I mean, I bled to death, and the odds of coming back from that. Actually, I, I interviewed some medical personnel as yeah. part of my research for my book. Uh, the odds of coming back from bleeding out which is what happened. Yeah. I bled to a point, you know, it's fascinating when you bleed to death, it's kind of interesting. When you bleed to death, your body shuts off the extremities to preserve the core. Yep. Cause it's like, okay, we don't have enough blood for the legs and the arms. We don't even have enough blood now for the intestines, but we're going to keep the heart, lungs and brain alive. But when you bleed out, there's not even enough to keep that stuff going. Yep. And my friend said, after I was revived, he said, you've heard the term white as a sheet, but you were, and my lips were dark blue and under my eyes right. were blue. And I, I heard I, he was a medic and he had said, you know, I'd seen dead people look like that. I'd never seen a living being that looked that bad. So I, I interviewed a couple emergency room personnel and say, what are the odds of somebody surviving a bleed out 59 years old to the point that their heart stops? And they said the, that they can get somebody back like that in trauma. In fact, she had a case of a 20 something kid bled to death from an internal hemorrhage mm -hmm. and they got him back. But he died within 36 hours because the damage to his internal organs was too catastrophic. So coming back from this with no lingering issues. In fact, after I came back, they expected my heart was damaged, blah, blah, blah. Everything was fine. But that, I mean, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But that was one of the things the angels told me. If I agreed to go back, everything would be healed. So, Rose, I have a couple of questions because along those lines, were, were, was there, I know that time is kind of this weird construct or not even really there when when you're in that afterlife area. But what was the time... Was there a time sensation for you when you were there? And what was the actual time that you were the actual, dead and came the back? Actual time, the actual time I was dead without a heartbeat was uh, more than 10 minutes is all that I know. Yeah. The time that I felt like I was over there, I, I am not, I, I don't know how to say this, but if you seriously, if you told me I've been gone for a day, I'd be like, no, oh, I can buy that. Okay. And the other, so in after this blackness, I, and this is why I can't judge time. I found myself in a white room and I have no memory of the transition from floating to being on something approximating feet in this white room. I, I really think something happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the angels, it's like somebody took my batteries out because one minute I'm floating in this blackness, having a lot of conversations with the angels. And the next minute I'm in a white room standing on my feet. And I remember so clearly being in this white room and I saw a door maybe 15, 20 feet in front of me. And I was like, okay, out of my way. I know what that door is. That door is the, the Rubicon. That door is the, the demarcation, the delineation. I'm doing the door. We, I know this is where we talk about, do you want to go back? And the answer is no. Pave a path, people. I'm doing the door. I mean, I was very, <laughs> I was not uh, confused on that point. <laughs> but I was on my, I, I and I had, you know, what is so strange. I thought, I don't know if I have feet or legs but I know that if I move with intention, I can get to that door. And I thought, okay, that's my intention is to get to that door. And within this room, there was a white mist falling all around me. Mm. And not just falling, but swirling. Beautiful white mist. And I tried to focus on a single droplet of this mist, which I know sounds nuts. But I asked an angel, I said, why can't I focus? And the angel said, what you're seeing are particles of light. And your eyes have not acclimated to this new environment. I thought, oh, they're particles of light. And I was wow. told that when we die, that some people die with a disease process yeah. or a limitation such as blindness or amputation or whatever, so heavily imprinted on their soul, they think it's part of their identity. And the point of this white room is, as my friend said, leave your muddy boots at the door. It's to take away that and restore our innate spiritual perfection. So as I moved through this room, I got to that door. And I, I mean, I, I was very adamant 
that I was so grateful again, so grateful it's over. And as I, uh, I got to that door, I, I don't remember the language, but it was made clear that if I went back, I would be restored to wholeness. And that was the word that was used was wholeness. wholeness. But as I got to that door, it, the door was shut. And I thought, you yeah, know, that door is supposed to be open. That door shouldn't be shut like that. I was a little annoyed by that. Not annoyed, but puzzled. But I put my right hand up to push through the door and I thought, right-handed on earth, right-handed in heaven. How cool is that? I thought it was really neat. Because again, everything we are goes with I us. I think it's funny and, that you're uh, having these types of thoughts there. <laughs> right-handed on earth, yeah. right-handed on heaven. I mean, it's, hey. it's, it, it's funny, but it's cool funny. <laughs> yep. um, so Rose, what, I pay attention to details. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, in one of the talking points we've got, it talks about pearls before swine can you can you tell us what that means well jesus said cast not your pearls before swine uh lest they turn and rend you um and or trample you maybe i i have learned that a significant number of people i I don't know 20 30 percent of people say oh it's the brain shutting down and blah 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 and then i say well you know what when I died, I had stage two cancer to a point that the flesh in my body was distorted. And when I came back, every cell of it was gone. I mean, I had, a sec- I had to find another oncologist because, like I said earlier, you when you say, yeah. I'm healed in heaven. Yeah. They were, I had to find another oncologist an hour away because the man with whom I had dealt had such a reputation. Nobody would go up against him. So it took a lot of effort. Um, so, yeah, even I had a second surgical biopsy where they took a lot of flesh from a lot of places. And they, what the ultimate finding was, literally what she said, was not one cell of cancer is wow. present. And she said, in fact, your flesh is so pink and pretty and perfect. Absent the test, I wouldn't believe you ever had cancer. So it wasn't just that it was healed, yeah. but it was perfect, absolutely perfect. So that was pretty dramatic. So, so yes, there are naysayers. There are people who will say you're making it. Oh, and my favorite, you're doing it for the money. I'm like, okay, you've never been a writer. <laughs> so um, so there's a question um from deb treadway and she wanted to know was there a particular reason why they wanted you to come back i was not given a reason as i stood at that door ready to pass through i stopped and i asked is this the divine will for my life mm-hmm. and i didn't even get past is this the divine and an angel said no it's not but whatever you decide you decide to go on or go back you go with all of god's love and mercy and grace and blessings and care and i was like okay i'm on it and then i had this uh shortly before i lost consciousness at that little er i had a nurse had promised me she wasn't going to let me die i mean i had asked you know, yeah. don't let me die don't let me die because now we're in it let's do this mm-hmm. and she'd promised me she wasn't going to let me die and as i'm ready to push through that door and be done with all this um i had a vision of that nurse and she was sitting on a little hospital supply room, sitting on a little metal stool in a hospital supply room, sobbing, head in her hands, waiting for her to sobbing. And I heard her say through tears, I promised that woman I wasn't going to let her die, and I lost her. And I was like, eh, she's an RN. She's my age. She's seen people die. She'll get over it. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I felt her grief. I did think that. I was like, you know what? I'm sorry for her pain, genuinely. And I bet but I got to go. Gotta I be bet that way. kind of grief that is, is a lonesome behind the, behind the doors grief yeah. happens. A lot with nurses and doctors and stuff like that, without a doubt. I think so too, because, and and then the next experience was I didn't, I didn't see her crying. I felt that internal angst and pain Mm -hmm. and agonal grief. And I recognized it as the kind of grief you don't get over fast. And so I said to myself, I, if I can spare one person that much pain, I got to go back. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, very difficult thing to do. And you know what? This, 
yeah, this, and I mean, I've, I put my right hand back down at my side and literally in a nanosecond, I was back on that gurney and that little, there was no whoosh. There was no tunnel. There was no backwards. Yeah. I was back on that gurney in a nanosecond. Mm. And now, now they, there was lots of activity. They even called back the receptionist to work on me. So there's lots of stuff happening in the room. They slung me on another gurney as fast as they could. And they took me to a trauma center, which is where I should have been anyway. And uh, what's so funny is everyone thought I was going to die again. So at the little ER, they wanted me gone. They didn't want, they didn't want me to they die again. They didn't want to do it and there. The, yeah. You know right. what? And, we, then, we, uh, and, and Rose, uh, forgive, uh, forgive us. Your story is phenomenal. Thank you for telling it. We've got about a minute left. We need a part and, two. Oh, yeah, we and, need part that's two. all right. And I want you, <laughs> I want you to tell everybody about your books, where they can find your, you know, your website and where they can find your books. Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life. My website is TemporaryDeath.com, and uh, you can contact me through that website as well. Because I did not have a near-death experience. I had a temporary death experience. Right. I would um, uh, love to interview you as well in regards to ancient architecture. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah, Rocky. Rocky. I can't speak to ancient, but... Oh, I can oh, talk oh, about oh. the early 1900s. That's good. Well, in my terms, because I'm like 19 anyways, that's ancient. It is. Rose, thank you again for joining us. Stay, stay right there. We'll be right back to you as soon as the show is over. Ladies and gentlemen, what a wonderful freaking story. I love stories that, that you know, people come back from the dead, let's say, uh, having, having died, experienced what they, what they experienced, to be able to tell it when they get back. That's the thing that gets me is that it's so clear that it's so it's not like it's a dream they can tell the story take us home brother no you take us home no, i'm just kidding um rose <laughs> come back i want to talk about everything thank you so much for being on the program ladies and gentlemen thank you for hanging out with us on this thursday night abnormalrealities.com romicadesigns.com and insanecustomtumblers.com ladies and gentlemen we love the hell out of each and every one of you we blessings to you and your family this is your weekend yep. uh, big hugs from us man we love you guys we appreciate you thank you Happy so much Easter, everybody we'll see Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.